Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy and guest co-host Sal Licata. All right, back here in the Sports Zone, uh, Pete McCarthy, Sal Licata with you as we are every Wednesday night uh, here in the Sports Zone. And we bring on right now, talk a little Yankees because uh, an interesting idea being floated around there in the Bronx. And we bring on right now Mike Mazio covers uh, the Yankees for the Daily News. How are we doing tonight, Mike? Good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're great. So, Aaron Judge, leadoff hitter. Uh, first of all, did, did you ask Aaron Boone, is that how this whole discussion began the other day? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just brought it up to him. I was really talking about more against lefties because Gardner's OPS was under 600 against lefties. So I thought, you know, hey, why not? You know, it's only going to be how many games, right? There's not that many lefties in the bigs. Maybe it's 30, 40 games that you know, they decide to do this, and then he plays the other 120 to 130 in his normal two-hole. But, uh, you know, I just threw it out there, and, and Boone said they had contemplated it at least and didn't sound like he was going to do it, but, you know, it is possible. And, you know, I, I get the idea of, of people saying they want Judge to hit with runners on base, but, I mean, you know, if, if Gardner was in front of him against lefties, I mean, a lot of times Gardner wasn't getting on, so he was hitting, he was hitting you know, with nobody on anyway. So I just figured, you know, a uh, guy with 52 homers that has – phenomenal on-base percentage, takes a lot of pitches. Even if he's going to strike out, he's still going to make the pitchers work, which is good. So he kind of has, like, besides the prototypical, like, speed or whatever, like the prototypical leadoff hitter, he has a leadoff approach up there in terms of, you know, the ability to generate walks and the ability to, like I said, see a lot of pitches. So to me, it kind of made a lot of sense. Hey, the pitcher is just settling in. All of a sudden, you know, if he hits a home run, it's one nothing, and you're feeling really good about yourself. So, um, and it, again, it would only be, you know, how many times a week, maybe once a week or something like that, once twice a week, if there's a lefty on the mound, maybe that would be an idea they throw out there. Now, I think, you know, I think ultimately Aaron Hicks is, is an excellent option. He's a switch hitter. He has an OPS of over 900 against lefties. So that totally makes sense. You know, he has kind of a speed element. He only stole 10 bases, but he could probably do that for you too. He makes a lot of sense, obviously, as a guy who could do that role. And then you could kind of just keep, you know, Judge, Stanton, Bird, Sanchez, Gregorius, whoever you want to throw next you know, in terms of, um, of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of an outside of the box idea and I didn't really mind it because they have so much depth, even if he does hit lead off. Yeah. I think you get points certainly Mike for the outside the box idea. Look, the manager himself said he would consider it. So I understand that it's not, uh, you know, the most ridiculous, uh, of, of thoughts in my mind and forget about it. And you wrote about how, you know, he's, you know, a tall guy, muscular guy, doesn't look like the prototypical leadoff hitter. Forget all that. What he looks like. He gets a 50 home run hitter. I mean, Aaron Judge will never be, I, I don't care what stats and what guys from Harvard or Dartmouth come up with and the OPS and the walks. Aaron Judge is not a leadoff hitter. I mean, he's a guy who's going to drive in runs. So a leadoff hitter to me, Mike, would be a guy, and again, I don't want to make a huge deal of it because I know you said against just lefties and that's minimal anyway and it's just a possibility. But the idea is you want Aaron Judge to drive in the guys who are going to get on base, not be a guy who himself is going to take a walk and get on base. Well, I'd only say counter to that is, I mean, the only time a manager is going to set his lineup is in the first inning. Then you don't know who's leading off who's hitting where. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, you know, he was, he was hitting second. It's really one position in the batting order that's different. And after the first inning, you never know when he's going to come up. He might lead off three times in a game. You might not want that to happen, but that's just the way it goes. So I don't, I don't really think it would be as big a deal. Plus, yes, the Yankees' highest on-base guys, their, their most impactful guys who are probably going to on-base lead off. But then even if you look at the bottom of their lineup, if they think Drury can do what he does, he's really effective. Um, if they start with Tyler Wade, 
Um, they hold big things for him. You know, at second, if he started at second, he could be a guy who gets on base a lot. So there still could be loaded later in their lineup guys because of their depth that get on still, and he'd still be able to hit with runners in scoring position. Again, we're really only talking about one spot in the lineup here. It's not like he's hitting fourth and he's moving up to leadoff. He's probably going to hit second. He's hit second every game, every spring game he's played. So it's really one spot in the order, you know, like I said, once or twice a week. And it was just an idea that I thought, you know, maybe would be interesting because of his profile as a hitter. It's not going to change whether he's hitting first, second, third, eighth, ninth. He's always going to be the same guy in terms of his approach. That's, you know, take a lot of pitches, impact the baseball, obviously, um, and get on base a lot. Right. Those are things that you want a leadoff hitter regardless of how big he is, strong he is, whatever. And you still have four all-stars, five all-stars behind him later in the lineup. And I think the Yanks, look, Yanks are a different story than anybody else. Struggle Mike Mazio covers the Yanks for uh, the Daily News. Uh, Yankees are a different story than anybody else because their lineup is so deep. But also the idea, too, Mike, and this is a philosophy, you know, league-wide now, batting guys in the leadoff spot or the two-hole that are uh, typical, you know, usually cleanup hitters in the old days. And then they're saying, well, you know, if we bat the pitcher uh, in the eighth spot and the ninth guy could come up and get on base in front of the guy that we put in the leadoff spot. Or in your case, you're talking about Wade or whoever, Gardner, they want to put them those guys down at the bottom of the order. Well, those guys can get on base in front of Judge or whoever's batting leadoff. Well, why not then just bat Hicks leadoff and bat Judge behind them? Or bat Hicks and DD 1-2 and then have the guys who actually hit with power behind them? To me, it's kind of you're trying to create a new way to do things when the old way was, was doing the same exact thing. I agree. I, I don't disagree with you. All that totally makes sense to me. Everyone who's freaking out over this, I totally get it. You know, worst comes to worst, Judge just hit second. You know, he was his most successful hitting second. John Carlos Stanton, who profiles as a quote-unquote leadoff hitter, he had 47 home runs last year hitting second. So it's really not that huge a deal. He was still extremely productive for the Marlins hitting second, still drove in a ton of runs hitting second. You know, you're not, cha- you're not moving heaven and earth here. You're just literally moving a guy one spot in the lineup, like I said, once or twice. You know, they're probably not going to do it anyway. Hicks completely makes sense, as, as I agreed with in my column. I said, you know, he said he, he may want to put Hicks there. His OPS is over 900 against, against uh, lefties. He can turn around and hit right-handed. You know, you could, you could stack righties. You could go, you know, Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, then hit your lefties, Bird, and, and Didi. You know, maybe later in the game that hurts you, but against a lefty. I mean, those righty guys, are, OPS-wise, are fantastic. Didi's not as good against lefties. Bird has been career-wise pretty decent against lefties, but... Whatever way you want to go there, I mean, no matter what lineup you put out there, the top six for the Yankees, it's probably going to score runs. I don't know how well, you know, you're going to optimize it, whether it's coming out, spitting out a computer or Aaron Boone or Cashman or whoever. But, uh, you know, you're going to score runs, I think, just because of the talent and and the ability of those guys to wear pitchers down. And and certainly the the threat of the long ball is... uh, there as well. Must be nice over there as we uh, chat with Mike Mazio of the New York Daily yeah, News. Really? Of course, the Mets flagship station here. Uh, how, how about, Mike, You know the idea of either of these guys playing left field? Do we see much of it? I know Stan's had some issues out there. I, I can't imagine it's going to pop up as an issue that much when they do the DH to utilize. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was obviously like the first game didn't go well, but certainly, you know, that's the spring. I think like in the right park, maybe it's Baltimore. Again, like in Boston, the left field is way smaller than Yankee Stadium, which also has a tough sun. But, uh, you know, maybe that's a place because of the small outfield. You decide, yeah, let's get those guys out there. I think they're going to pick their spots. I mean, Gardner is a gold glove left fielder that didn't make an error last year. So I think he's going to be out there. You know, maybe it's 120, 130 times that they want to give him, you know, more time to kind of preserve him because he's sort of wore down the last few years um, as he's gotten older um, later in the year. So I don't know, you know, maybe you try it 20, 30 times. And, you know, you really, you could put like Hicks out there. You could put, uh, 
like you said, you could put Judge or Stan out there. I don't, I don't know how often they'll do it. I also think they think that, you know, Stan is really athletic and he'll still be able to figure it out. But it's definitely a, a different, you know, animal playing, playing right to left. It's not as easy as just, as just penciling a guy in there. You know, the ball comes out the bat differently. It might slice, you know, in left field, whereas it doesn't in right. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different reads that you have to make, obviously, as, a, as an outfielder. Even playing, you know, even Gardner, who's, who's phenomenal at said when I, when I was playing center and moving over to left and right, I mean, it's completely different. It's a tough adjustment. Um, and he's the guy who's a gold lover now there saying that. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you'll see it that often, but, I mean, if there's injuries, if they want to get both those guys in during interleague play, they're going to have to do it. Um, so it's one of those guys that's going to have to figure it out because they're going to want both those bats in the lineup. And they could rotate in the leadoff spot as well. Uh, so they, they got, they got options. <laughs> nice <there>. luxuries to <laughs> have. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mazzio, New York Daily News. We appreciate the time, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on. You got it, guys. Take Thanks, it. Mike. You satisfied, Sal? We're back in the WOR Sports Zone. Here's Pete McCarthy and guest co-host Sal Licata. Sal, so hear all this buzz about bullpen carts, the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, bringing them back. Are you are you pro bullpen card? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's going to speed up the game. I hope it doesn't that, have to speed up the game. It just needs to be fun. No, well, my point is, it's going to wouldn't it slow down the game if anything or no? I don't think so. Yeah, you drive it in, you drop off the pitcher, you drive it back while he does his warm up pitches. How does it slow anything down? Yeah, I don't know. Getting the thing going, I, I, I'm, I'm for it. I, I mean, I if like it breaks it. down, maybe you got a problem. But I, then you're right back where we started, and the guy walks in. I I like the idea. Now, are all teams going to have it or no? No, but I think See, this is going not... to become a trend because it's very popular. The Diamondbacks are getting a lot of positive pub, and the Diamondbacks predicted that other teams would jump on this. It's an easy sponsorship opportunity, right? You, you throw a decal on the on the bullpen cart, you make them big and ugly. There's a nostalgia element to it. I mean, I haven't really heard anybody who's anti bullpen cart. I don't know how you could be. It's a fun, fun thing when to throw it, together. When did it go away? I guess a couple of decades ago. I, right, because, I don't remember seeing bullpen cards. And that was I'll my, put it that, that way. That was my point. I may vaguely remember seeing, maybe in the late 80s as a young kid, vaguely have some memories. I don't know if it was from tapes that I saw that happened years ago or what, but I don't remember it uh, ever really with the Mets. But you're always aware of them. You yeah, see of course, pictures yeah. of the bullpen that's cards. A, that's what I mean. So I don't remember it happening in games where I was watching like as a you know young kid. So you wouldn't get the nostalgia element, but it's it's fun. And, and Ray, do you have a bunch of uh, bullpen card stories for us? Yeah, 1995 was the last time it was used. Oh, wow, okay. Where was that? Seattle? Looking to see what it was, but I always think bullpen card. I think of that scene from Major League yeah. when uh, Tom <laughs> Berenger steals it to go uh, <laughs> yeah. chase Rene Russo. How about was there an issue in uh, the Naked Gun? Am I thinking about, or was that an actual car that yes, they were driving? They, out? They, yeah, they remember the bullpen cart was part of the bloopers. And I think got into an accident or something oh, like okay, that. Okay, yeah, maybe. Sessup's great. I mean, this was part of uh, the game to a degree that movies were utilizing it. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. I have no problem with it. It's like getting rid of mascots and bringing it back. It's uh, it's a nice thing to do, Ray. Milwaukee Brewers, nineteen ninety five, last one to have it at Old County Stadium. Wow, my favorite is an AL team. What about the Mets? Can I you see the AL last, team? Can you check yeah. the last time the Mets had it? Doesn't say. It just says that one. But remember back then the oh, uh, Brewers. Were yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because I, I figured some of it. the Mets didn't play very often. It doesn't say. Look further into it, Ray. Come on, gotta crack the whip around here, Pete. What's going on? Yep. This has been a week for Ray. Just well, email our research department, <laughs> and they'll get right on it. I love Ray. I'm just kidding. Uh, I do like the bullpen card, so I think it'll be fun. But it's got to be universal. It can't just be one team. It can be. It doesn't right. have to be everybody doing it. You got to make it your own. You got to, you know, put your own personal touch on it yeah. if you're a, a given team. I'd like to see the Mets do it. Get Mr. Mets uh, big old head, you know, looking like a golf cart. 
It'd be great. No, I want the hat. I like the old school hat. You just want the hat? Yeah, I like the hat on. What about like an apple that comes out of the it? Car- yeah, like that? that's not bad. The cart's actually, uh, you know, the ball, right? The bottom of the card is kind of looks like the b- baseball. Okay. And then you have, you could do one of those, um, was it the seven line who came up with that, that kind of like winter hat with the apple, the home run apple hat? That's a good idea to have yeah, it up. Yeah, that would like, work. Yeah. What's up, Ray? Good little note here. Uh, you're, you're talking about the Mets and the bullpen cart. The Angels debated to be the ones to debut theirs. The first one that anyone can remember being shaped like a baseball with a cap was the Mets one. There we go. That's why I guess I like that. I just saw a picture. Somebody just tweeted it out. Uh, and nobody knows if it was really them that started or not, but that's probably the that, that's where they figure the, the baseball-shaped one with the cap was with the Mets. Take advantage of your history. Embrace it. Interesting. Yeah. Embrace it. So I'm all, I'm all for it. It makes sense for the Mets to... Get on that. Bring it all back. The, the problem that you have with certain teams and potentially the Mets, uh, hopefully not this year, but they could wear out the miles on, on that bad boy kind of quick, especially the way the games have gone. Now, remember, when when bullpen carts were in in the 80s and, and prior, there weren't 18 pitching changes per inning here. Oh, wait, the lefty's in, the righty's in. By the time the car drops the guy off and makes its round trip, it's going to have to come back and make another one. So you might want to lease it rather than buy the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, might, it might not last all that long. So, uh, These things are going to get some mileage. Yes, it will be a much a much different game than it used to be uh, as far as that goes. And the pace of play with the bullpen car, yeah, I don't think it's helping that. I think it's just uh, it's fun. Is there anything else that's like fun from baseball's past you think would be a good idea to bring back? Good in question. the fold along those lines? Uh, I'm sure there are, but there's... It's like a good Disco question. Demolition Night? You want to bring that back? No. That was a disaster. You going to let no. that one go? Okay. That's probably a good idea. Uh, I think there are... Uh, I mean, we're talking about just like... Ten Cent Beer Night? That might be fun. Yeah, really? Well, how about the $5 Beer Night? I mean, I think you'd sign <laughs> for that. I mean, that would be a big deal. Well, that would be a big deal. Well, you're a Falcons fan. Yeah. You know, that new stadium, one of the real interesting things that they did was sell the food and the concessions at a much lower price than many of the the new stadiums around when you went to games did you make it down there i did not okay. this year and by the way did you hear anything about that being successful yeah, yeah i think i think it's great the problem is in their particular instance you can't buy tickets you or i cannot buy tickets to any game there. They do not sell any seats to the public. The only people who have access to it, even as a member of the media, by the way, I tried to go through the team to purchase tickets and I cannot, they don't do it. Matter of fact, I had guys that work in the, in the NFL, call games in the NFL, say, Hey, can you reach out to them and try to get me tickets? I'll pay for them, but I just want access. They don't do it for anybody because it's all about the ticket licensing what is it called the seat licensing personal seat licensing correct so that's all that they sell so it's hard to get oh, wow. into they the... did that too yeah and for every such, seat such think about it think about it. they don't sell out Pete. they don't sell regular they don't sell any tickets single game tickets they do not sell so, so yes, they don't sell are you saying that building's not sold out for the I, regular season games i i don't know the answer to that but i do know this it's atlanta okay they're not selling out Every seat well, in for that football, field. they might. No, no, I don't know about that. So they they're selling personal seat licenses for a stadium that they can't sell out, and they won't sell those extra well, tickets on an individual game. Well, basis. because I guess you have to have season tickets. I don't know the exact yeah. price, but you basically you have to have season tickets. You cannot buy through the team. You cannot buy single game tickets. And I would think that they are not sold out. That's amazing. Right. So as great as it is with the water for two bucks or whatever it is, the hot dogs, I think that is great. Uh, You're paying for it. (laughs) They should make it a little easier to get into the stadium. But I do think other teams should follow that philosophy because people will be excited about it. Oh, yeah. I I mean, listen, at... uh... 
you know, City Field or, or something like that. I mean, that's a big part of going to the game is all the concessions. One way or the other. Now, you could do it the other way, and you don't charge much for a ticket. But then if you just go to City Field, even if you get a free ticket, you start bouncing around getting food and you know a couple of beers, it starts getting expensive pretty quick just getting in there. And the idea that Arthur Blank had, the owner of the Falcons, was that people will buy more of the product as opposed to if a hot dog is 10 bucks and a beer is 11.50 or whatever it is, you may buy one of each. At $5 or $3 each, people are going to buy maybe five each. You know what I mean? Like it's it, party time. Yeah, right, exactly. Because you go, look, you and I go there. If a beer's 10 bucks, you're going to take it easy. If a beer's $3, you may be after, you're not going to care about it. All right, $3 beers? Shoot, we'll give us some more. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone. Here's Pete McCarthy and guest co host Sal Licata. Uh, we got Sal Licata, myself, Pete McCarthy. Uh, tomorrow night, big interview with Mark Gastineau, the former uh, Jets great, who's been battling health problems, uh, brain-related, from his NFL career. And uh, Mark, part of the concussion settlement, one of the retired players suffering from dementia, Parkinson's, as well as Alzheimer's, and um, playing the waiting game, essentially. And uh, he is, uh, you know... Done, done waiting, I think, and a lot of these retired players are continuing to wait and, and being given the runaround uh, by the NFL as they try to you know, collect what is part of uh, this settlement, which could end up being over a billion dollars that the NFL has to pay out thus far, and they have paid uh, $250 million or so, but many players uh, still waiting as they suffer with these health issues. And uh, you know, just a teaser, but Mark described his relationship, which goes back a number of years, with Commissioner Roger Goodell. I'm friends, you know, with uh, Roger Goodell. He said, Mark, he said, do you remember me being your ball boy? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yeah. And, I, and he goes, do you know, Mark, you treated me. So good. You've treated me better than anybody. He goes, if you need any, if you need anything done. Now, this is Roger Goodell. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that give him a hard time, but my experience with Roger Goodell, now, this is a true fact, was a good experience because he was my ball boy. Yeah, and they go back a number of years, and and Mark uh, wanting to, to call in that favor, and you'll hear him, you know, rather pointed at the commissioner of the NFL, the, the situation at large. Uh, it, it's very emotional at times as he describes what he is dealing with, and, and you can hear a lot of it. Uh, unfortunately, the effects of uh, the dementia and the Alzheimer's, but uh, it, we'll have it for you tomorrow at eight oh five, and. Uh, you know, great guy to have in studio and, and meeting him for the first time yesterday. And you just hope that he and, and so many of these players that are awaiting, you know, their payment and then are being given the runaround right now, uh, can get some money to, to get the help that they need to be able to live as quality of life as, as they possibly can. It, it's sad, man. I mean, there's no other way around it. When you look at some former legends of the game, guys who have given their lives, I mean, in in Gassano's prime, when he's breaking the sack record, he's mm-hmm. not thinking about having dementia, you know, not that long It wasn't after. even on the table. At least the players now, they understand that that is a risk that could come down the line, and they get the opportunity, even if they're too young to make a wise decision, but they get an opportunity to prepare 
in that way. Whereas, you know, the players that played in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the NFL knew and the players did not. It's a very difficult thing as a sports fan, right? Because we love football. You and I are just talking about it, getting pumped up for football season. And you understand the risks, but we don't have to go through those risks. Those guys do. And I know they get paid millions to do it. Some of them love to do it. Some of them are doing it just to, you know, make a career and, you know, become rich and famous or whatever it may be. But, you know, when you talk about the severity of injuries that they have afterward, it's not one or two guys. Gastel's not alone. There is, yeah. I mean, a plethora of guys who have were in such bad shape. That at the very least, they should be taken care of by the league. How old is Gastineau now, by the way? Gastineau's in his early 60s. Yeah, early 60s is way too young for that stuff. Yeah, and he, he still loves football, and he, he does. And uh, when he came on last year and he basically announced – his diagnosis that he has Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Ugh. as well as dementia, he wanted to come out, I think, to say that part of it, but also to promote USA football and the Heads Up program and that there's a way to play football safely and that if he had that kind of instruction and you know knew not to lead with his head when going up against a, a gigantic offensive tackle and not take those shots in games in practice he'd be in a, a better place right now so he he still loves the game wants to promote the game to to some degree but it has obviously um yeah, given him a lot, but but taken so much away in, in in this stage of his life. I think there's a way to play it safer at times, but it's a contact sport. It is a barbaric sport, and for the most part, it just can't be played under safe conditions. I mean, if I had a child, I would never. Now, my mother never let me play when I was a young kid. I don't know if I even had the toughness to be able to play. I was a baseball player, but I wanted to play football, right? You want to be in part of the school team and, you know, have that attention. You wear the jerseys and be. My mother would never let me play when I was a kid. Now, knowing what I know, and that was, we're talking, you know, early 80s. Now, knowing what I know, I would never let my child play football. Would you? No, uh, you know, my, my kid's not going to be big enough. To I mean, I'm five foot seven. And I, you know, if you're a certain size, maybe you can get away with it. But I, I think what's scary is it's not just you know the big hits uh, that you know the, the safety coming in and drilling a wide receiver doesn't see him. It's not just those hits. You know, it's the line play, the, oh, the offensive wow. lineman and the defensive lineman in the every single play. You're going to bang helmets, and that's just the nature of it. And it, the more you find out about those sub concussive hits, those you know the the accumulation of it all. Uh, that's kind of the nature of the sport where, you know, that's, that's what it is. What about, I mean, we saw even Clint Frazier the other day get, you know, hit, hit, ram his head into the wall, falling back, had a concussion that, you know, is, he's struggling with it. We saw Jason Bay years ago do that. Yeah, Justin Morneau. All right. Ryan Church years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby in the NHL, Eric Lindros, they just did a thing on him on real sports. You know, it, concussions happen in other sports too. Any kind of head trauma like that, that's bad news. Yeah, it's been a problem. Women's soccer and, and girls' soccer in high school, and you know, I know in, in some areas they've stopped heading. You're not allowed to head the the ball anymore, but it, it it's hard to event. It's hard to avoid in in some sports in some capacities. But football is one of those sports that you know right. you're getting not just one big hit that can be, do damage, but 
the constant boom, 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 boom. So uh, you'll hear from Mark Astineau, and I, I you'll want to uh, tomorrow at 8.05 right here uh, in the Sports Zone. And uh, we, we thank Mark once again for uh, for coming in and uh, sharing his story and, and what he's dealing with. You hear from his wife, Joanne, as well. You think about what the wives uh, go through Ugh. with um you know, husbands and in that kind of need uh, and in that kind of situation. So, um, you know, all that coming up again tomorrow at 8.05. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone. Here's Pete McCarthy and guest co-host Sal Licata. Well, NFL cuts coming fast and furious today. Some trades, some moves. The Giants go out, get a linebacker, Alec Ogletree. So Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison, big D lineman, one-time Jet, now a New York Giant, uh, 14 minutes ago on Twitter, saw, hey, Alec Ogletree's coming here. Welcome, boss. Nice little Twitter right. shout out there. Then seven minutes later, tweets, wow, it's been real. Nobody is safe, I guess. Right. So is he? is that what you call trolling? Uh, I would say, please write something nice to Damon Harrison because I, I call that fishing. Fishing for, no, we can't lose you. Uh, okay, yeah. Would you call that fishing? Yeah, I guess. I don't know the difference between fishing and trolling. <laughs> trolling is you're trying to get people well, trolling upset, is like you're, you're, yeah, you're rallying up somebody else. With their, yeah. You know, I think fishing is more, hey, it's about me and, and getting some uh, He's trying little to, attention there, you know? Well, I, I get, think. Getting it, the little, like, hey, we, we can't lose you. What's wait, going on Wait, here? where are you going? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. You know, the more I think about it, I, I can't stand being a part of social media. I, I just don't <laughs> like social media at all. Yeah. Do you? And I spend way too much time on it. Well, now he's cheating about The Walking Dead and uh, Season 4 Breaking Bad, so I think it's I think he's oh, okay. Oh, so maybe it was about somebody who uh, got killed off in The Walking Dead. Is that show still on right now? Who knows? Walking Dead? Yeah, it's still going. How about uh, a lot was made about the Beckham tweet? A couple, what was that last week or a couple weeks ago, right? Like people just taking things and running with it. You could take that tweet from Harrison and interpret it many different ways. With all the yeah, blue- that's the game he's playing. Yeah. Well, right, exactly. You never know. But then also now in today's society, in today's media world, everybody takes, oh, Odell Beckham Jr. says he's not going to play a snap in preseason, and then boom, that becomes headline story. When well, if he said it to a reporter, it's the same thing, right? Versus right. tweeting it out himself. But how do you know that he said it seriously? Yeah, you don't. Okay. You, you, if on Twitter it's interpreted the way that you take it, not the way that the, the tweeter meant it. Yeah, it can be. It, it depends on, I guess, how someone runs their account, right? You kind of have an idea who's someone who's going to be tongue in cheek, like Damon Harrison is tongue in cheek on his Twitter account. Well, you don't know. I followed him long enough to recognize that Beckham. Beckham kind of runs his stuff like LeBron does, where every once in a while he will have the motivational quote. That isn't just like a randomly picked motivational quote. No, he's, he's making yeah. a point, uh, you know, passive aggressively. I get it, but you also don't know. You can yeah. take that Harrison tweet at face value and say, oh my God, you know, a reporter could say something just happened with Harrison. What's, what's going on here? Or you could be logical, like you just, like we are, obviously, we know that nothing's happening with Harrison. Yeah. We know he's going to be there. But people could read into it, and you don't know what Beckham, as much as I, I don't like Odell Beckham Jr., uh, his antics, his personality, his immaturity, his uh, craving attention, you know, he didn't, who knows what he meant by that tweet? You can't take that and run with it and say, if you didn't ask him, you can't take it out of context potentially and say, make that a big story. And it's worthwhile for him not to clear that up because that's 
potentially a negotiating leverage. Well, not only attention, yeah. but negotiating leverage for him and his contract if the Giants think that that's a possibility, that it's going to become a whole soap opera uh, with him this uh, this offseason, which it will. Which is fun because Gettleman's not going to have any of it. You already heard of about $20 million a year player. He's not Gettleman's not paying a receiver that. I, but if you're going to pay, if the Jets are going to pay Kirk Cousins $30 million a year, yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. is worth twenty. I'm sorry. A receiver is not worth anywhere near what a quarterback is. I know is. it's not apples to oranges, but Odell Beckham Jr. is a top five receiver in the league. Receivers, and listen to me, because I'm not, this is not speaking at a, receivers are worthless. You can, when did the Patriots ever have a big time receiver? They have three of them. Big time receivers? No, they make good receivers. How many Super Bowls have they won? They make good receivers. They've gone out and they acquired Brandon Cooks, and he stinks. He had a terrible year. He was much better with the Saints than he was with the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Randy Moss had a big time year. I get that. But that team also did not win the Super Bowl. Now, they played, I mean, they should have, but they didn't. (laughs) But but that's that's, that's the aberration. In other words, Pete, you build a team inside out, not outside in, and overpaying for a wide receiver is such a foolish thing. Well, when you're drafting a quarterback, you don't have to pay the quarterback position for three or four years. He's got his binky and Odell Beckham Jr. I think that's a much more palatable situation. Yeah, I mean, I you know, look, I would, I don't believe in building a team that way. I would not let a wide receiver, especially a diva like him, run my team and control where I'm putting my. I'm not holding him hostage. You want to be here? We'll we'll sign you long term. We'll give you a nice bonus. We'll give you proper value. I'm not overpaying or giving him twenty million dollars a year to make him the most uh, highest paid receiver. And but on the you know point I kind of made there, and I think this is a fact for both the Jets and the Giants. One of the big advantages in the league now, and this is something that's changed since the Sam Bradford draft. Remember when Bradford yeah. went number one overall, he got like $50 million. Now, no matter what player you draft early, he's underpaid those first few years of his career. So when you hit on a Dak Prescott, uh, Carson Wentz, when you hit on these quarterbacks and you have them on that rookie contract, you can really build around them. Russell Wilson over the years with Seattle, right. now you see Seattle cutting everybody as Russell Wilson starts to make some real money. That's a huge advantage, and I think that's one of the things you have to consider, I guess more specifically for the Jets, paying $30 million for Kirk Cousins versus trying to draft a quarterback that has a higher ceiling, lesser floor. That's what you're going to have with just about anybody that you draft versus Cousins. Uh, almost certainly will not be as, well, I shouldn't say almost certainly, but likely will not be as good because that's the nature of that sport. But it's such an advantage cap-wise if you can if you hit and those next three or four years, you can go out and build a great team around. But they could also hit – look, to to win in the NFL, you have to draft well. And they could also hit on the draft picks in other areas outside of the QB position, QB position. So you can pay Kirk Cousins, and then you need to draft properly the way they did with May and Adams and so on. You have to do more of that and build a team of young, productive players who aren't going to cost you the money that Kirk Cousins or other free agents are going to cost you. If, uh, if you were the Jets – would you bat Kirk Cousins' lead off? <laughs> I'm going home. i got to get the snow off my car now. Wish me luck getting home. This may be the last show we ever do together. That's it? Oh, yeah. The snow's going to chase you away? You don't know. I, don't I thought know. we are making plans to watch football it's next end. year. It's now it's like goodbye forever. It's Peace, the end of the, no, I mean, who knows? The end of the world out there, apparently. Reports every 15 minutes. I mean, updates the worst storm ever. I hope I can get home safe. Well, I hope you can, too. I, I still see some sidewalk outside, so hopefully I'm, it's... 
not, it's not as bad in Manhattan. It, it should be okay. I'm glad I came in, though. Uh, it was a fun show. I'd much rather be here with three hours talking sports with you than at home watching reality shows with my wife. Come on. You love Housewives. <laughs> You're a big softie. The truth is, I do. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Let's end it there. Uh, thanks to Mike Mazio, the Daily News, Wayne Randazzo, pre-post, the WOR Mets Radio Network, joining us on the show. Uh, tomorrow night, Mark Gaston will be with us at 8.05. Make sure you hear that. For Ray Martell, Mark Wiener, Salicata, I'm Pete McCarthy. Be safe tonight. Dave Ramsey's coming up next.